Welcome into the Forum Club. I'm Bill Orem, joined by Jovan Buha and Anthony Slater. Guys, the Lakers are 10-3, and best record in the NBA, best defense in the NBA. They just got done sweeping yet another road trip. They broke the Houston Rockets and ended the James Harden era. Is there anything bad to say about this team right now? Is there even <laughs> yes. is there even anything is is there conflict? They're boring, I would say. But good almost becomes boring at times, right? I mean, it's like oh, well, they're up 20 on the Thunder again. Okay. Well, they're going to win that one. You know, and this is this is sometimes the plight of the heavy favorite, you know. I dealt with it for years with the Warriors. The regular season becomes a little mundane when you just kind of are cruising. Uh and they're winning and and at this point they're clear favorites. Um, and there's not a ton of drama to their results because it's like eh, they're going to win. They're going to be a top two seed, probably the number one seed at this point. Um, so it's like it's almost like a lack of drama, right? It's like get a little bit of spice in that locker room. You know, it almost feels like a lifetime ago that they were in a, a close game against Chicago at home. I mean, it was only last week, but they've had some close games this season. But for the most part, this team has been as much of a juggernaut as everyone sort of initially anticipated when they went out and got Montrez Harrell and Dennis Schroeder and Wesley Matthews. You know, the offseason was such a huge upheaval from a championship roster. It was a lot of change for a team that had been that dominant uh, in the playoffs. And everyone kind of said this team actually got better. And there were, you know, well, what about the rim protection? What about the front court? Um, you know, is Schroeder going to you know regress? You know, what, whatever, whatever some of those fears were. I mean, with the exception of Wesley Matthews, who has struggled to acclimate and now is dealing with um, some injury issues, you know, everything has gone, has exceeded expectations with these guys. I mean, really every piece they've added has outperformed expectations. Markeith Morris, who came back on a minimum, has been a continuation of playoff Markeith Morris. I think he's been great. Uh, Taylor Horton Tucker has been a little bit up and down, but, you know, he's had a big role on this team. Uh, it just, it, it really just seems like, I mean, like you said, boring, but in a good way where everything's going swimmingly. You know, LeBron and AD are happy. They're playing at their typical all NBA level. Uh, Yovan, let's get you in here, um, you, you know, because you've been you've been writing you know, night in and night out about this team. What interests you about where this team is at 10 and three and atop the NBA? Well, I, I've kind of taken the contrarian stance on the rim protection um, and, and kind of done a, a 180 myself where uh, it, it was a concern for me heading into the season, but I think from what we've seen through the first 13 games, like this team is averaging as many blocks as they did last season. They're allowing fewer shots at the rim, you know, within five feet, allowing a lower percentage. So some of those rim protection concerns, I think, are overblown. Um, you know, I think comparing Marcus Gasol and Montrez Harrell to Dwight Howard and, and JaVale McGee, like, yes, those, uh, you know, the latter two are, are better rim protectors. But the Lakers have just been able to make up for that with playing bigger lineups with Kuz at the three or, or the two, you know, with just more Anthony Davis, you know, who, who was on a tear, uh, you know, heading into the, the OKC game, had 17 blocks over his last five games. So I yeah. think they've found ways to, to step up. They're, they're playing a little bit more of a conservative scheme. They're not playing the passing lanes as much. That's why their steals are down and points off turnovers are down. But they are kind of packing the paint. They have adjusted. And it's working. And even Marcus Gasol, who at times over the, the first five, seven games, you know, looked slow. It was getting beat on the pick and roll. It was getting beat to the rim. He just had four blocks against OKC. And he's looked a lot better and more comfortable defensively. So to me, I thought the one concern that this roster had was how are they going to protect the rim with Marcus Gasol and Montrez Harrell? And, and so far, they've protected the rim better than last season. And it's early. That can change. And the schedule's about to get harder. They, they have a tough rest of the month. But I do think that, you know, kind of the, the one perceived weakness with this roster has not really bore itself out 
through the first 13 games. You mentioned the schedule. If we look at their last, Spurs three times, Memphis twice, so there's five games, Bulls, Rockets twice, Thunder. That's their last like 10 games that are against probably non-playoff teams. Yeah. And that's part of just like the inability to watch the game and be like, ooh, like how does this matchup line up? Now, they got the Pelicans, which are mildly interesting coming up. Warriors, which we might want to get into later in the podcast. That'll be kind of a fun MLK Day matchup. And then the Bucks. Uh, you know, who have been the best team in the Eastern Conference. They're going to Milwaukee. So I think I want to see, really from the other side, I want to see Milwaukee tested by the Lakers. I want to see the Warriors right. tested by the Lakers. That's what they become. But it's tough to turn them on, flip them on, when it's like, you know, hey, they're beating the th- like the Thunder. So boring. The Spurs three times. And it's almost tough to judge, too, because I remember the last time we got together for a podcast, we were discussing them closing against Portland, like a team that they might close with again in the playoffs and like how Harrell fits that matchup. And the problem is we know they're a dominant regular season team. I'm just very curious about specific matchups, and we just haven't got any of those matchups lately, but we are getting some of those coming up. And listen, it was last December that the Lakers started the year like 23 and three or something like that, whatever their huge record to start the, the year was. And then they went on that, that East Coast road trip right before Christmas and they lost a game at Indiana. Then they lost at Milwaukee and really in convincing fashion, they lost to the Bucks. And then they came home and lost to the Clippers. I think it was a little bit of a reset of expectations of the season because the Lakers had been riding such a high, but, you know, really hadn't played you know, the top, top teams in the league yet. And that's kind of where they are right now, where the tests that are coming up that you just went through are going to be, you know, the biggest tests that they've seen this season with the exception of opening night against the Clippers. So we're going to learn more about them. I think some of this conflict that we're kind of thirsting for, uh, some of this intrigue is right around the corner, frankly. Yeah, for sure. Yovan, I'm, you know, reading some of your stuff on the defense lately, it is very interesting. Like that was one of the concerns going into the season, right, was the um, defensive letdown just emotionally. Um, but they're the top, they have the top rating in the league. I think 104.4 right now. I don't know what they finished exactly number wise last year. I think they were third in the league. I don't know what the, what the metric was. It was like 106, I believe. I have it here. Uh, yeah, they were 106.1 third in the league. Yeah. So they're better even really with like, would you say Davis has not like had a great defensive season? I mean, he's still himself. He's had a, you know, some highlight games, but he's not at his top peak you know no, nightly no. defensive level and lebron we could probably get into a discussion lebron might be the mvp favorite through through uh you know 10 12 13 games which is kind of interesting and all career lows by the way like everything's all the way down <laughs> like his points are down his assists are down by three from last year but yeah i mean absolutely yeah i think and that can lead into a wider league-wide discussion i think some of that is the fact that the league is just not swimming in contenders right now around the Lakers. And there's not a bunch of like, you know, we thought Luca was going to make a leap, right? He's been kind of disappointing. You know, you go around the league, there's just not that much stuff going on besides COVID issues and a blockbuster trade. And then suddenly the Lakers who really haven't been affected much by this COVID stuff have played 13 games, look very stabilized, best defense in basketball. And it's just like, it almost feels foregone at this point that yeah they're just going to kind of rumble through the league i do want to come back to covid in a second but um let's put a pin in that that part because i think that's an important discussion with this team but you know it was interesting because i did a mailbag that's on the athletic that you guys can read and it was shocking to me the number of questions that i got about the lakers defense the number of people who said it really seems to me like the lakers swapped out defense for offense this offseason and i'm concerned about montrez harrell's defense and what are we going to do about the rim protection and i think that fans are stuck on what we were saying 
before the season, before we'd seen it, which was on paper, this is where they have a hole. But Frank Vogel will attempt to scheme his way around that. And so far, they've been really successful at it. And by the way, with Montrez Harrell, who's not a perfect defender, um, obviously, uh, is a very, can be a very impulsive defender, you know, but he's going to compete on that end and he's going to, you know, draw charges and all that. Like you take the imperfections of Montrez Harrell as a defender because you do have Marcus Gasol to defend, you know, a guy like uh, Nikola Jokic. And because you do have an alternate small ball center in Markeith Morris, who won you games in the playoffs last year. So um, right now, I think questions about the defense and, and any concern about the defense are just surface level takes where people are not seeing what the Lakers are actually doing on the floor. And one thing I spoke about on the post-game edition of the podcast was someone asked me, is Marcus Gasol underrated with, with everything he brings because he doesn't really fill up the box score? And I think with Mark, and I've written about this a little bit too, like his mistakes are, are so egregious that it sometimes looks worse than it is. But like, you know, getting scored on is getting scored on. Two points is two points. But with Mark versus, you know, maybe JaVale or Dwight would contest the shot and, you know, the, the person would score over them. But with Mark, it's like he gets blown by and they get a layup and it, it looks worse. You know, he, he's not there in the, in the same way Dwight JaVale is, but their defensive rating has been really good with him. I think he's second in the team in terms of on-off summary behind LeBron. So like it has worked with Marcus Gasol. You know, th- those two, I believe, are, are currently the best um, two-man tandem in the NBA right now, uh, net rating wise. So like that pairing has worked. Mark has fit in with the starters. And again, I get that sometimes he'll have a egregious, you know, blown coverage or or someone will score on him and it'll look bad. But for the most part, he's in the right spots defensively. And the Lakers have schemed it where he doesn't have to do as much as Dwight and JaVale had to. And, and they're putting him closer to the rim, closer to the paint and playing to his strengths. So I think he clearly can't play against five out teams like he, he struggled against the Clippers and Ibaka. Um, he, he struggled when teams have, have downside, you know, the Spurs matchup was tough for him when the Marcus Aldridge went off. So I think there will be times where he probably has to come off the bench or, or just not play as much. But for the most part, I, I think he's fine against, you know, traditional bigs. Hey, JaVale McGee never made a defensive error. Okay, <laughs> This guy positionally was always on time. No, um, I mean, the funny thing is, if you think about the Lakers in the playoffs was JaVale McGee was basically played out of every series. Um, yeah. And. Dwight Howard mattered in one series, right? Yep. The Nuggets series. And guess what? Marcus Gasol matters in the Nuggets series, right? He'll just plug that. You know, it's a different type. He won't be the irritant that Dwight was. He won't be saying those corny, like, yo, uh, I'm the Batman jokes at uh, Jokic. But he's probably, I mean, I would say he's a better post defender. Now, Dwight's more high energy. Um, but, yeah, it's not. Yes, the rim protection and the, the center mix they had last year was like you said, like more highlights, like, oh, JaVale came over and like swatted that into the first row. Dwight Howard is just like doing crazy stuff out there. But Marcus Gasol will certainly be as impactful in a playoff suit if he's healthy as Dwight Howard. It's all an optical illusion, right? Like, the, you know, we think of, of big man defense as exactly what you described, you know, blocking shots out of bounds. And there's certainly a psychological um, advantage that, that 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 gives you. But like, like Jovan said, Preventing someone from scoring two points is preventing two points. And no matter how you do it, if it's by moving your feet and not letting someone, um, you know, and, and not letting someone get a clean look at the rim or or continuing to uh, forcing them under the basket, whatever it is, you know, all the many things that Marcus all does with his defensive acumen. If the result is the same, and it's going to show up in, in you know, all the metrics that we all judge defenses by, you know, def- you know defensive efficiency. And, and so I think that it really is just people wanting to see you know those block shots as a as a measure of good defense when you know 
Jovan, listen, I, I watched the game. I you know thought I poured over the box score. I didn't know Marcus All had four blocks last night. You know why? Because none of them went into the 12th row. Like, you know, they just don't look the same, but they are every bit as effective. They're like tip blocks as the guy's like bringing the ball up, like that yeah. kind of stuff. Here's a stat for you. Marcus Gasol averaging 1.6 blocks a game. JaVale McGee last year, 1.4. Dwight, 1.1. So he's averaging more blocks than either of those two. Again, yeah. it's not like necessarily a... a apples to apples comparison but Marcus Gasol is protecting the rim yeah my only concern on Gasol is like the three-point shot and like the willingness you know that's just kind of left him in his later stages of his career and that was the problem for Toronto in the playoffs that's why Ibaka started playing way over him but as a defender I mean it the brain's there and if the body's healthy like he'll be a positive level defender in the right matchups and then the other thing is Frank Vogel is has shown he's super adjustable in the playoffs like you know if if they play a team that no center should be on the floor I think he's proven that he won't put a center on the floor yep. so um that that's the big thing they're, they they're just deep they're just so deep compared to a lot of these other teams and that's I and mean, beyond the fact that they have the best top one two in the league Remember last year, go, I mean, Jovan, I know you remember this going into the playoffs. It was like, well, they're not as deep as the Clippers. I think if we looked at them against the Clippers now, you'd probably say they have a better one-two and they're probably deeper. Yeah, I would agree. Although Nicholas Batum, Nicholas Batum. You know, <laughs> I mean, that's the thing that the Lakers, the Lakers achieved in the offseason is they kept so much of their depth, right? Like Alex Caruso obviously returned. You elevate Taylor Horton Tucker. And then you put in, uh, you know, other guys like, you know, Wes Matthews, Markeith Morris comes back. You bring in Montrez Harrell. It's like they are so much deeper than they were a year ago when like going into the going into the bubble last year. You're like, well, I guess maybe J.R. Smith is going to play some minutes like this. This rotation is jam packed. Like it's completely full of guys who should be playing bigger minutes than they are. Wes Matthews up to 41 percent from three. I'm just going down some of the stats right now that are surprising me. Didn't he have like a six of six tonight? You see Danny Green hit nine threes the other night in Philadelphia. It stunned me. I think he was like one away from a Sixers franchise record. I saw that he was like two for 17 or something on the game yeah. when the Sixers only played seven guys. He's being very Danny Green like the entire season, you know, the woo, the up and down. Caldwell Pope, 53% from three. I mean, it's only 17 to 32, but I don't know. What else about this team, I mean, sticks out to you guys right now? I'm curious for your guys' take on this because I went into depth about this for probably about 10 minutes or so discussing a potential Lakers-Nets finals and, and what that matchup would look like and we don't know what's going on with Kyrie Irving and when he's going to be back if he's going to be back uh, but I'm curious your guys initial thoughts on what a hypothetical Lakers Nets finals would look like and you know both teams can make moves uh, you know I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if either team makes another move or two to, to kind of tweak the, the back end of the rotation but I guess as currently constructed how do you guys view that matchup you know obviously I think we're going to need like a 20 game net sample to get a feel for what that's going to look like but i mean the obvious problem is their defense you know i mean we're talking about a defense that will include james harden kyrie irving against the best defense in basketball right now with the lakers durant has made the east very interesting because kevin durant looks like prime kevin durant still and that gives the nets basically exactly what the lakers have in lebron the way durant's playing he would go toe-to-toe with the lebron in the series right now but the problem yeah. is what davis does on both ends compared to what Kyrie and you know harden don't do on both ends is, is probably a separator and then where i'm concerned on the trade from the nest perspective is them giving up jared allen in it i was kind of surprised by you know he he's he's a lot better than deandre jordan but deandre jordan kind of you know locker room dynamics i guess and I, cleveland wouldn't have been part of the trade if they got jordan so they, they did it to get jared allen but 
they don't really def- like I, that's going to be a pretty bad defensive team unless Duran is just everywhere defensively while carrying a huge offensive burden and, and I don't really see that yeah I was trying to figure out who you would even put on Anthony Davis in that series if you have a center on the floor to tie up DeAndre Jordan and I mean I just don't know how you even try to defend Anthony Davis if you are the Brooklyn Nets like that that team is is pretty small outside of um outside of DeAndre and like I mean obviously KD is long and tall and um, can do a lot, but like I see Anthony Davis really having his way against KD, yeah. um, especially in the post. And so I just I'm just not sure what they would even do. And and like you said, not a not a good defensive team. The Lakers, you know, great defensive team, going to push it in transition. I would enjoy that series. Obviously, I would like to see LeBron versus KD again. But like I just I still just don't see the Lakers losing a series with the way they are built to this Brooklyn team. Yeah, Yovan framed it correctly though that they're not done maneuvering. You know, Brooklyn is clearly in like win now mode i mean they just traded every first rounder they have and i believe they that trade freed up three roster spots i think they have empty roster spots so yeah they have three i mean durant Kyrie, harden are gonna they're gonna be working the back channels with every veteran on the buyout market right particularly a big man i mean you mentioned there that the way they trade jared on they're probably the prime destination for whatever big man comes available is that robin lopez or something you know javel would be interesting certainly and, and kd has a good relationship with javel because they played together uh, with the warriors and, and they were friendly so um that's a great option um the thing is lakers nets start a series probably a five game series you know maybe a sweep um they start one in may june or june july whenever the finals is supposed to be this year um it could be very different and we could we could have different feelings we didn't prep this guy so uh forgive me for for going off the cuff here but who are going to be the top targets on the buyout market later this year? Who are going to be the names that we are going to be talking about? The Lakers, Clippers, Nets, Celtics, Sixers all competing over. Sometimes that could be surprising. The big the big veteran people are circling right now is P.J. Tucker, right? right. I mean, Absolutely. with the way Houston is rebuilding and P.J. Tucker's unhappy with his contract situation there. I don't think he's necessarily going to be a buyout guy because I think a team would give a first rounder to get P.J. Tucker right now. Maybe, you know, late first, whatever. They give an asset. So I'm not sure he'll be buyout, but that is is the blinking light of a veteran that I think is probably the one that can most help a playoff team right now. Beyond that, it's so early in the season, Yovan. I don't know. Have you looked at that market much? Not really. Uh, Trevor Ariza is a name I've heard kind of floated out there as someone who will probably be a buyout guy at some point. Dwayne Dedman's just sitting out there. I'm surprised. Like, I think he could help as not even necessarily a, a backup center, but just like a third. Like He'd play minutes on the Warriors, I would say. You know, like there's there's buzz yeah. in the Warriors fan base. Like, go get Dwayne Dedman. He would immediately play like 15, 20 minutes at least. So, yeah. I think if you're the Lakers, like you are in a spot where if something happens to, to Mark or Trez, injury, be it a COVID absence, you're now down to basically one center and we've seen the team is reluctant to play AD heavy minutes at center during the regular season. I mean, I guess you could downsize with Keefe, but they don't really have that third, you know, center eligible guy for heavy, you know, and and maybe in that instance, that's where they go and and get Edmund. But I think just having that, that guy who I think could be a backup for a lot of teams, but having him as like your third string center, like that would be an asset. But uh, besides that, I mean, I think JaVale is going to be one of the names. And I also think that there's going to probably be a, a few guys that just pop out of nowhere because a team situation changes because of COVID, right? Like mm-hmm. we, we've now seen multiple teams decimated by, you know, absences and, and losing games that they might otherwise have won. So I, I think there are going to be probably several teams that end up having their season altered potentially by some of this and end up going in a different direction and maybe a guy or two pops on the buyout market that we weren't expecting. So I think with how much 
uncertainty there is with, with this season and everything going on, there could be some names that we weren't necessarily expecting. You know a name out there that's um, he probably via trade because he's helpful, but George Hill on the Thunder. You know, yeah. he's, the Thunder don't want to win. They're actually winning more than they want to right now. Um, and he is like, a f- I think he might have led the NBA in three-point percentage last year. And he's a solid enough guard defender, you know, veteran, and doesn't want to be on a lottery team at this stage of his career. So I would say him, P.J. Tucker, Jovan mentioned a few names. Like, those are probably the, the biggest highlight ones. Ariza's on the Thunder, even though he's not on the Thunder right now. He's right. technically employed by them. So he is probably the premium the buyout move. name. Yeah. Probably in a buyout because no nobody's given up an asset for him, I don't think. And listen, with George Hill, I mean, not only do you, do you get George Hill, you get his entire family and everyone else that he chooses to socialize with during the pandemic. What do you guys make of his comments about basically if COVID's so bad that you can't go see your family that they shouldn't be playing at all? I think he's probably spoke to what a lot of players are thinking but won't say on the record. Right. I think part of what he why he said it on the record was what I was just mentioning. The situation he's in is like making him very whatever about the season you know can you imagine doing this season which we all know has been a chore right it's, it's kind of miserable for a lot of these people a lot of people around the league yet george hill's doing it on a, on a, a tanking team so that, i think that leads to him being like whatever i'm just gonna say what i feel where you know imagine if a laker came out and said that everyone would be like dude we're trying to win a title here like don't don't say that but um, right that's that's kind of what i thought about it so i said we were gonna come back to COVID, and I, the question i have for you guys is related to something Frank Vogel said yesterday and something that LeBron and Anthony Davis have been talking about. Frank said that the Lakers want to be the best in the league at adhering to the protocols, that that is one area where they are trying to net, where they are trying to dominate this season and that that can actually be a competitive advantage in the season, right? Like, I mean, obviously staying healthy is going to be a huge part of getting through this year. Do you think there's anything to the idea that the Lakers, because the Lakers so far have had one player in the regular season this time due to the health and safety protocols. It was Alex Caruso who said that he had someone over at his house after Christmas and then that person tested positive. So the league is getting decimated and the Lakers are among the teams now that I think the relatively few teams that have not had significant issues. And it's really early, but do you think it's possible the Lakers are better at this than other teams in the league or have they just been lucky so far? I think it's a combination of both, Um, but I would point to something that LeBron said, I think Kuzma said too, that they've already been dealing with this basically since March as, you know, people living in LA County and in California, like we can kind of speak to, we've had stricter protocols and regulations than most other states for a while now. So I, I think part of it is like they are hungry to repeat and they're talking about how important it is for them to, to follow the protocols and how they've kind of rallied around it. And like, you know, this is something we want to be really good at. And I think Kuzma had a line about like, you know, you don't want to let your brothers down by getting into the protocol and, and um, you know, just kind of doing something stupid that, that's going to cost the team. But there's also an element of like, I think being in, in LA and in California, like you do have a different relationship with the COVID rules where, um, you know, I think it's been stricter for a while. So you're kind of used to it. Whereas I think other states, other teams, um, you know, depending on where you are, it's not strict. My personal life, I, I've seen that with people I know in, in other states and stuff where, you know, kind of depending on what your you know rules and, and protocols are, you might view COVID and, and what's appropriate and not a, a little bit differently. So I'm sure that has kind of affected the NBA to an extent. So if you're in Florida versus California, you might have a different take on it. So I, I do think being in LA where, you know, LeBron said, like, we've basically been on lockdown since March. Like, I, I think that also plays a factor in this. If you're in California and you're like, I want to go to a bar, 
to watch a game. I know you're not technically supposed to be able to under the NBA rules, but even if you wanted to in San Francisco, where the Warriors haven't really had COVID issues, or LA, like you're saying, you can't. It's not open. If you want to go to one in LA or in Florida, like you said, like maskless crowded bars are available there. Um, didn't the, the Rockets have like four thousand fans in their arena? Right. I mean, the, mm-hmm. yeah. That's is that's the number. <laughs> I mean, how crazy is that to even think about in California? Like, I I can't even imagine the the. Joe Lacob tried to do this thing where he was going to uh, get 9,000 fans in that they were all tested, and the city was like, no, bro, that's not happening. Whereas, yeah, like the Houston's letting fans in the arena, and that can only contribute to a looser mindset, right? When That's just how humans work. Whatever's going on around you is what you kind of become comfortable with. And so, yeah, that probably has what led to some other outbreaks. And the other thing is just like luck, right? One thing sets an entire team off. It's not like a lot of these teams have, you know, the guys that have eight people in health and safety protocols, it's not necessarily because eight people have it. It's because one or two guys got it, but the contact tracing sets guys out for a while. So, you know, at any point, one or two Lakers, one or two guys on the Warriors, one or two guys on the Blazers where they haven't had issues and Damian Lillard's talking a, a good game up there. One of those guys gets it and he's was sitting on a plane next to four guys. Boom, suddenly half the team is out for a week and they're getting games canceled. So it's there, there's luck involved too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so guys, next week the Lakers will hit the road for seven games. It's going to be their longest road trip, at least of, of this first half of the season. You know, we talked about some of the, the some of the spots, um, but you know, I'm going to be interested in seeing. You know, that is a time that that strikes me as a um, you know a red flag time for you know COVID restrictions. You know, it's, it's what 12 days on the road, seven different cities, seven different states, seven different hotels. You know, however many flights that is. Um, all cold weather cities. Uh, I'm going to be really interested to see how the, how the Lakers get through that, and you know, teams you know, around the league that are you know, on trips like that, how they are, um, you know, going to survive. I mean, it's just a, it's just a, it's a really tough time, and the league's doing what it can to to, to get through it. Um, but uh, any other parting thoughts before we sign off here and uh, turn our attention to this weekend's games for the Lakers? On that trip, like it's not even just about the the COVID you know, do they have an outbreak type thing? It's just like, that's going to be a depressing trip. They got to just stay in their hotels the whole time too, especially with these ramped up protocols. I mean, it's already really, you guys both know, it's already very tough to do a East coast swing in the middle of winter um, to seven cities by like city four, five, six. You're just like drained. Can you imagine doing it right now with all these cities closed down and the fact that they're, basically going to be locked in there going hotel to arena to airplane wearing a mask the whole time in the middle of all this with you know political upheaval going on that is affecting everyone in the country like that's going to be a challenge mentally for the lakers that i i that is a really long road trip to be going on right now yeah the only thing i'd say is you know the lakers would tell you probably that they have they they have you know the greatest mental fortitude in the NBA because of all they've been through in the last couple of years and their, and their, um, their survival in the, in the bubble, but nobody's done anything like this. I mean, on, on this team, nobody's done anything like this upcoming trip yet in their careers where, you know, 12 days, you know, basically can't leave your hotel room except for the games. And like you said, you can't even go get a bite to eat. So um, I agree. I think it's going to be real tough, real hard on them and real, um, I don't know this season in some ways I think has the, um, has the potential to be more mentally exhausting uh, than the bubble, because at least in the bubble, those guys had a degree of confidence that they were safe 
that they weren't that you know they, they're getting tested every day. Nobody was coming in without getting you know multiple tests and quarantining. They're in the real world now, and I I think it's going to be a real mental challenge for the entire league. Milwaukee against the Lakers is a, is a good start to that trip. No, I mean Milwaukee. I think has the best point differential in the league. Might even be. Well, it was better than the Lakers a yeah. few days ago. I don't know if it's still. Is. I think it's point three better right now. Yeah, I still don't trust Milwaukee necessarily in the playoffs to to win the East, but as a regular season matchup, that's probably as good as it gets right now. Yeah, especially with the way those two teams have been playing. You got Philly on this trip, Boston on this trip. Um, it's going to be a good one. It's going to be interesting if they actually play all seven games on the trip. What the teams they play against look like. I mean, Boston's had, I think, three straight games canceled. Yeah. Um, I think the NBA overall is up to like nine or so that have been canceled. So, like, the Warriors right now are on a three-game road trip that ends in Staples Center against the Lakers, and it's just turned into a two-game road trip because Phoenix is, has half their team in quarantine right now. So, um, everything that looks... It, it's just like everything's so unpredictable right now. It's crazy. Although you do hear everyone in the league say... Like January will be worse than February. You know, February will be worse than March. Like it is on an upward trajectory back to normal. We think, we hope. Um, so, you know, I'm trying to leave the people on a positive note. All right, guys. Well, we'll be back next week to preview that road trip. Uh, I bet you we'll talk much more in depth about the Lakers and Bucks next week. So look forward to that. In the meantime, read our stories on The Athletic. Uh, Jovan and I will be covering the Lakers this weekend from Staples Center and obviously um, some post-game podcasts as well. So be sure to check those out. And uh, thanks for all of your support. Look forward to talking to you next week.